Today we are celebrating how God's grace transforms people's lives. Over the last six weeks, we've been in a sermon series on the parable of the prodigal son, which looks at this young man, probably about 18 or 19 years old, who rebels in a very deep way against his family and against God. You see, he asks for his inheritance early from his father. And that was tantamount to saying, Dad, I wish that you were dead. So he amazingly receives that inheritance. He takes that money off into what is called a distant country, where he squanders all that money in wild living. And he continues uh, to ignore the wake-up calls, the alarms, and he spirals down into this ever-deepening pit of despair. And finally, after he hits rock bottom, he finally hears the wake-up call. He has an awakening. He is honest about his circumstances and about his sin that brought him there. And then he takes action to go back home to his father. And listen to what happens next. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. It says, He got up and went to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So we see here in this passage, there was a tremendous celebration. There was a a huge feast of great joy because the son who had been lost now has come back home. And to help us capture the atmosphere of joy and of celebration, we are sort of having a feast here this morning. You may have been wondering when you came in this morning, okay, this is something different. We don't normally have food here in the sanctuary. But this is a part of capturing this picture of a joyful celebration that we see here in this passage. So here's how it's going to work. In just a minute, I'm going to pray for the rest of our time together. And then after I pray... We will have a song that will play for about six minutes. During that time, I encourage you to greet one another, but also you can help yourselves to the food on the tables. Each of the four tables has identical food on it, so you don't have to go to all of them. Just each one is the same. Um, We have small plates, and we have large plates. Feel free to help yourself to as much as you would like. Also, uh, you can help yourself to this food after the service as well. There isn't food in Fellowship Hall today. It's all in here, but there is plenty So we encourage you to enjoy, to feast, to celebrate, because God's grace does transform people's lives. So let's pray together, and then we will celebrate. Our Father, we thank you that you're a gracious God, that just like the Father in this parable, welcomes us back with wide and open arms. And as as we are gathered here this morning to celebrate how your grace transforms people's lives, I pray that you will fill us with joy, with a spirit of celebration, with a spirit of gratitude for your amazing grace. And Lord, may you be honored in this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So now let's greet one another, have a feast, and celebrate. Today we're celebrating how God transforms people's lives. The life transformation that he causes didn't just happen 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking on earth. He's still transforming people's lives today. And we have several testimonies uh, as a part of our service to just... Um, just share about what God is doing. And right now we have up here Travis Sternhagen, along with his parents, Sandy and Sam. And Travis has been a student at UWM for the last few years. 
and he's gotten very involved in the campus ministry there called Crew. And he's a student leader in the ministry. And actually, this next year, he's going to intern with the ministry. So he's going to be in full-time vocational ministry for this next year at UWM with Crew. And so we're excited to see what God's doing in him, what he's going to do through him. But as you look back at Travis's life back in high school and early college, it wasn't always quite this way. Uh, Travis, could you share a little bit about, about what your life was like back then, about how you weren't fully committed to Christ at that point? Yeah, um, so throughout high school and the beginning of college, uh, depending on who you would have asked, they would have given you a very different uh, description of who I was, I guess. Because uh, in high school and college, I was very much involved with like, the party scene. Um, so a lot of my friends knew me. It's kind of being like the wild card and um, just living that kind of lifestyle that definitely uh, wouldn't have been stamped with the label of like Christian. And then uh, on the flip side, if you would like ask like my parents or like, uh, you know, a lot of people like in the church, they would have said I was like living like the Christian life, like living that out. But really, um, I was just living that dual life and not really living uh, fully for the Lord. Yeah, and um, I mean, thankfully, to the best of my knowledge, you aren't living that dual life any longer. Um, but there was a point of awakening for you uh, where um, God grabbed a hold of you and really turned your life around. This changed you in very significant ways. Can you describe what that awakening was like and now what's changed? Yeah, um, it actually uh, kind of, I trace it back to a moment where I was actually on a fall retreat with crew, um, actually got in touch with Chip, and so then me and Chip kind of started a relationship, and then uh, there, there was a time of confession, where there's a lot of guys getting up and just confessing these things, and I felt like that was when the Lord really, like, started, like, kind of shaking me, like, waking me up, like, saying, like, look, you are living, like, this sinful life, but you're also, like, not confessing it, like, you're not, like, um, trying to be free from it. Uh, and so that was the moment that I really, um, like, realized that it wasn't, like, this was not the life I wanted to live. It wasn't satisfying. Like, uh, Christ is where that satisfaction is going to come from. So uh, that night, like, confessed to those people, like, the dual life I was living, like, everything that was going on. And then even past that, started, uh, uh, like, met up with my parents, uh, told them everything. Um, then even got the opportunity to, like, confess in front of the church here. And it's been really awesome to um, walk free from that and be actually like walking with the Lord and I can honestly say yes I'm not living that dual life like I still struggle but like um, it's been really awesome to serve the Lord in Milwaukee and just see even how my story has been mm-hmm. um, has spoke to other college students that come mm-hmm. um, and kind of living that same life too so it's been awesome yeah it's neat to see how at that retreat really you experienced all three parts of aha awakening honesty and action really all at the same time and it has led to life transformation which is what this series is all about um now your parents are up here as well you talked about how you had to be real with them honest about this dual life you were living and when you look at the parable of the prodigal son you have two main characters you have the son who's wayward and rebelling but then you have the father, and we don't see that much about what would be going on in the father's mind, but you do see the father's actions uh, in there. But just wondering if you all would be able to share what was going through your mind. What was your reaction when you found out about this dual life that Travis was living? It was hard. It was hard. And um, I had suspected a little bit before he confessed, so I was very concerned. Um, you know, we had raised him in the church, and um, I just hurt. I hurt. I had, uh, my heart was broken. Um, 
I just, I guess I couldn't believe that what was really going on and that we really didn't, you know, have a clue what was going on. But it, it was painful, and it was, my concern was for Travis. I was, I was scared for him. I, I was so worried about him going down the wrong road. So. As far as I was, uh, I was in, like, denial. Um, Sandy would voice her concerns and say that Travis, you know, she felt that he was going down the wrong way, and I was just like, no, no, that's not Travis. You know, he'll be all right. He'll be fine. And we just um, kept praying about it, and he, it, it worked out. He yeah. came to us, and, you know, we all rejoiced. And, yeah. you know, it was really emotional, and, you know, we knew at that point that he was going to be all right. Mm. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. And God's done an amazing work in Travis's life since then. Um, What's going through your minds now? What's your reaction now as you see the work that God has done? In pure joy. Trials? Just pure joy. I just, um, I'm just thrilled. I mean, I'm grateful. I'm thankful. Um, I did go through a period where, you know, I just, I didn't understand and I couldn't understand why. And um, I just had to, I put my trust in God all the way. You know, I just let that all, you know, I pushed it away. I stopped thinking about it all. And, mm-hmm. um, just pure joy. We're so proud, so very proud of him. Hmm. Well, it's cool to see, I mean, a story, really, the parable of the prodigal son sort of lived out right here, um, and just great to rejoice with yes. you all at what God's doing. I mean, it's purely by his grace, but we rejoice exactly. in that. So just thank you for being willing to come up here and share oh, what God's been doing in your family's life. Lord Jesus, may those words be true of our lives. There is no other name like your name, no one else who is worthy of the praise and the honor that you are worthy of, Lord. We thank you that you stepped off your heavenly throne, came into the mess of this world 2,000 years ago to redeem us, to bring us new life, to bring us into into an eternal relationship with the Father in heaven, to bring us into his family as fully adopted sons and daughters of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace. And as we continue to journey through this time this morning, may you continue to open our eyes and open our hearts to your grace in our lives and open our hearts to praise you because of who you are. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, up here uh, with us this, right now, uh, our second AHA testimony is Christine Connie and Eric Leggett. Uh, they have been in, involved here at Freedom's Church for roughly a year or so. Um, and it's been very exciting to me to see the work that God's been doing in their lives, uh, just really transforming them. And they've, they've each spent a significant amount of time in what could be called the distant country. The distant country is uh, from the parable of the prodigal son, where the son runs away from God and is living far from him. And I just want to ask you all a couple questions. First one is, could you describe the distant country uh, that you all were in? She said there's a lot more people this time. (laughs) But you already had one run-through of this. You can do it. Um, Yes. um, Just look up at the back wall up there if you need to. Thank you. Thank you. Um, My distant country, I lived in for uh, quite some time, decades, actually. Um, It was very lonely. Um, I traveled all over the country, everywhere that I could, and never staying very long in one place. Um, I've been on my own since 15 um, lived in um, Virginia, Florida, Las Vegas, searching for something to fulfill me. Um, 
literally running around the country trying to calm my restlessness. Um, it was very lonely, very sad, very um, desolate, secluded, unloving. And that's the best way I can describe it. Um, <laughs> mine wasn't as geographical as yours. I wasn't. <laughs> um, God seemed to put me in places where I needed to be at certain times. I'll put it that way. Um, uh, through alcoholism and drug addiction, um, I had to pay the consequences for a lot of my actions and uh, uh, for things I did while under the influence. Um, it was very, like Christine said, lonely, dark, secluded. Um, I felt like I was always trying to fill this gap inside me with something, um, usually drugs and alcohol, and that never seemed to work. So um, my distance place was a little different than hers, but in a lot of ways, it was the same, too. Um, and thankfully, you're not in that distant country in the same way that you have been for a long time. God's been doing an amazing work in your lives. What did God do in your lives to grab a hold of you, to cause that awakening, and then how has your life changed since that initial awakening? Um, mine directly has to do with Eric. Um, I was very sad and depressed, a very, very low time in my life, and um, Eric actually asked me, what will make you happy? What is going to make you happy? And he probably said it to me a million times, and I never heard it until that very moment. Um, it was such an awakening for me. It's like Jesus came into my heart and opened it up. And from that very moment, I knew exactly what I had to do and what I wanted and what was going to make me happy. Mm. I no longer had to run around looking for it. It was there all along. Um, it, it's amazing. I can't even describe how fulfilled I am now, how much at peace I am how at home I feel within myself. And I know exactly what I have to do for the rest of my life here on earth. I mean, what a change that was. We've been talking, I've known you all for almost a year now, but even more recently we've been talking about this change that God has made in your lives. And I mean, you just shared about how from vast majority of your life you were so restless, never able to settle in one place, just always moving on to the next thing, next thing. But now you finally feel a peace and you don't feel that drive to keep jumping to the next thing. No, and I, it's, it's so amazing. It's such a peaceful feeling. Um, I, I, I'm really excited about it. I'm so excited about tomorrow. I'm so excited about the next thing. And I feel so involved in it. My heart is just screaming for joy. Well, that's amazing and wonderful. Um, for me, I had a lot of uh, uh, aha moments along the way. Um, I really didn't uh, adhere a lot of the warning signs of um, where my uh, alcoholism and drug addiction were taking me. Um, you know, we often say in the meetings I go to is that we're always the last person to know how bad off we are. And then when we're doing good, we're always the last people to know how good we're doing. Um, I was pretty down and out. Um, like I said, I made some major bad decisions in my life, and there was consequences. Um, but the awakening part for me... Um, there's a few different ones along the way. Um, as far as my, my journey with Christ is, when I came here, um, was one of them on May, I believe it was May 3rd last year, May 4th, was my first time ever coming to Freedens, and I remember the, the sermon was uh, the fruit of the Spirit, and it was on love. And uh, that, that was um, something I went right away and shared with Christine, because um, she wasn't attending at that time, and 
tried to say, you know, I really think you'd like it and stuff like that. And then she started attending. Um, my other uh, awakening came at uh, No Regrets Men's Retreat. Um, and uh, a pastor by the name of um, Pete Briscoe, he's from, he's from Texas. And he was talking about um, pretty much Galatians 2.20, which explains how we have to die, you know, and then we have to indwell, and then we have to depend um, so not necessarily physically dying, but um, dying like our old ways, our sinful ways. And in return, Christ comes and lives with us. And in return, we depend on him. And um, and I still listen to him. Like I said earlier, I still listen to you and Dave, too. But uh, I, I listen to his sermons online. And uh, I think it's, it's just like anything else in life for me. Um, if you want to be good at something or you want to do well at something, you have to work at it. And, you know, becoming a Christian, it's work. Um, you know, I have to get rid of my old ways and the selfishness and the ego and the pride. And <clears throat> that's kind of where I'm at today. So, Well, it's so, like I said, it's so amazing and so encouraging to see the work that God has done in your lives. And it's just a picture of how God is continuing to transform lives right in our midst. So thank you for coming up and sharing about your journeys and giving praise to God for what he has done. Thank you. For me, it's just so much fun and so encouraging to see how God does work in people's lives. Uh, we already read our passage from Luke chapter 15, and this passage just really shows the grace of God. This is what sticks out to me the most, the grace of God um, displayed through this father in the parable, how the father has shown such tremendous grace to this wayward son when the son comes home. And I want to make three observations about this grace here from Luke chapter 15. One of the observations is that this grace that the father gave to the son in the parable is completely undeserved. It's completely undeserved. That's the essence of what grace really is. But he didn't deserve it at all, and he knew it. I mean, he had uh, dishonored and brought shame to himself through his actions. He'd also been very dishonorable to his family and especially his dad. And he knew that he didn't really bring anything to the table as he was returning home. And he actually said, uh, verse 21 of Luke 15, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you think about the fear that this young man would have felt as he was approaching his hometown. I mean, he would have known that he's approaching that hometown. When he enters that village, that all the eyes are going to be on him. You see, villages back then, and sometimes in the Middle East still today, in these small villages, they're small, they're very, very tight-knit. Everyone knows everyone else's business. And then he knew that as he entered that town, it was very likely that all the eyes of all the people would be staring right at him. I mean, because in our society, people are oftentimes holed up in their homes, they're in their businesses, stuff like that. They're People didn't spend the day in their homes. They spent it outside doing work. They had open storefronts. So as soon as he walked in town and all the people were going to be staring right at him, someone would be kind of curious, but a lot of the stairs would be stairs of condemnation. Because he had not only betrayed and humiliated his family and himself, he'd also humiliated, humiliated his community. Because the actions in that culture, the actions of one individual reflected on the whole community. And again, this would add to the fear as he's approaching his hometown. He'd be thinking about how uh, it's quite likely that when he comes in that town, 
there would be groups of children who would stop playing in the streets and begin to chase him through town, taunting him and mocking him and yelling curses at him. Because this is what oftentimes happened when a social outcast would come into town. He was probably worried about what's called the katsatsa ceremony. Now, you may not know what the katsatsa ceremony is. Here's what it is. Katsatsa comes from a Hebrew word that means to cut off. And what would happen is that if there was a Jewish man who received his inheritance and then took that inheritance into Gentile land. Gentile land is any non-Jewish land. They were seen as heathens. If, if a Jewish person squandered his inheritance among the Gentiles and dared to return home, the people of that community would enact the Katsatsa ceremony where they would take a large clay pot, all gather around this man, break the clay pot in the ground, and say, you are now cut off from your people. They would publicly disown him. And on top of this, you think about what the son would be wondering about, how is my dad going to react? How is my older brother going to react? He would expect condemnation and anger. I mean, you would expect that in any culture if if a son treats a family that way. How much more so in in a Middle Eastern culture with the values of honor and shame? And so you can, you can just think about this fear and trepidation that the son would have as he's approaching this town and this shock to see what actually happens. Look with me to verse 20. It says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The father ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So what this is a picture of is that before the rest of the villagers could react to this, uh, to this son coming back into, this, into the town, the father sees him, has compassion on him, and runs toward his son. Now, this is shocking in that culture. In today's culture, it's pretty common to see grown men running. I mean, you think about men run for exercise, men run when there's an emergency, men run like in airports when they're late for something. I was out on the bike trail yesterday, and I saw a number of grown men running. In our culture, grown men running is not that uncommon. In that culture, grown men did not run. If they had to go somewhere on foot, they would walk slowly and in a very dignified manner. When this parable of the prodigal son is read among a Middle Eastern audience, they are absolutely shocked that the father would run because patriarchs, especially in that sort of culture, did not run. Yet here we see in this parable, Jesus knows this culture extremely well. But he says the father ran. And don't think this is just a fast walk or that it's a jog. It's a full-out run. It's, it, if you look at the wording here, it's talking about he's racing towards his son. And we have to ask, why is he doing that? Why is he running so hard towards his son? And I think part of the obvious answer here is that he loves his son. He's very excited and, and, and relieved this son has now come back. But I think the real answer behind why he's running is even deeper than that. You remember the shame that the son expected and that by all means he, he really deserved when he was coming back to his family? Remember that shame? What the father was doing when he was running towards the son was bearing the shame that the son deserved. The father bore the shame. Now, how did he do this? He did this by running. Because, again, running, period, in that culture, by an adult male, especially a patriarch of a family like this, 
was, was so taboo. It was so dishonorable. And here the father is running. To run, um, in that culture, they would wear robes that would go down to the ground. In order for a man to run like this, he would have to take up the front of his robe, hold it in his hand as he would run. And as he would do so, he would expose his bare legs. That, too, is something that was incredibly dishonorable. I mean, today, we have people here in the service wearing shorts. But back then, an adult man did not bare his legs in public. He was doing something that was seen as dishonorable, even very shameful, and running in this way towards his son. But as he was doing so, he was bearing the shame that the son would have received if he didn't do this. Because what happened as he ran is all the townspeople's eyes would have turned away from the son and on to the father. So then the son will not be receiving the full brunt of shame that he would have otherwise. And then when the father embraces his son, that is an indicator to the rest of the village. Hey, I am accepting my son because I am, I am calling you to warmly welcome him as well. And the villagers will take their cue from the father's reaction to the son. And so we see that the father bore the shame of the son. And this is incredibly relevant for us even today. Because this is a parable. A parable is a fictional story that communicates some sort of spiritual truth. And in this parable that Jesus is telling, the Father represents God. And so the actions and the attitudes of the Father in this parable are indicative of the actions and attitudes of God towards us. That God, just like this Father, is filled with compassion and grace and love and self-sacrifice on our behalf. Now, whereas we probably deserve... Or, or think that we deserve condemnation and anger when we come before God because of our sin, we instead receive grace, just like the son did when he came home. Now, we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize we actually do deserve anger and condemnation. But the Father, God, in this parable, God is the one who absorbs that shame and the anger and that condemnation. He did it through Jesus. Because Jesus is God come to earth in human form. And Jesus went to the cross, uh, one of the most excruciating, gruesome, humiliating forms of execution ever devised by humanity. And he took our shame and our sin and our death penalty to the cross. So that now through faith in Christ, you can see it throughout the Bible, through faith in Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see condemnation and anger. He sees love, grace, wholeness if our faith is in Jesus, because Jesus bears the shame and the penalty that we deserve. So we see the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, lived out right here in this parable. And one of the other things we see about God's grace here is that the Father's grace is absolutely extravagant. Look with me to verse 22. The Father says to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now, in our culture, that would seem kind of strange. But in that culture, this was uh, something of absolute honor and dignity, where this best robe would be the Father's most expensive, most extravagant robe that would be reserved for the most special of occasions. And the Father would normally be the one to wear it. But here, the Father is saying to the servants, here, put the robe on my son. He said, give my son a ring. This ring is a signet ring, which, again, in our culture probably doesn't mean a thing. But in that culture, a wealthy family would have a signet ring that they would use. They would dip it in ink, and that would be the official seal upon important documents. And by giving the son this robe and this ring, the father is bestowing on him honor and dignity. Did he deserve it? No. 
his grace, but his extravagant grace. And we see the extravagance going even farther when the father says, kill the fattened calf, let's have a feast and celebrate. He is not holding anything back, but he is full of joy and celebration. And when guests come to this feast, this celebration, probably the whole town would have been invited. And when the guests see the son, who had been a rebel, but they see him dressed in his father's best robe, wearing this ring, they would understand the son has his father's approval. The father has embraced his son. And because the father has embraced this wayward son, we too are to embrace him. Because the townspeople will follow the lead of the father. And this translates really well into our relationship with God. I think of Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, where Paul writes, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So we see that if our faith is in Christ, we don't have to fear the condemnation or the judgment from other people or from God. But because we have validation, we have approval and acceptance from God, it really doesn't matter that much what other people think of us. Because if God is for us, who can really be against us? And so what this is pointing to is that no matter where we have been in our lives, no matter how hard-hearted we've been, no matter how much we've rebelled, no matter how much we have dishonored God, others, or ourselves, God's always standing there with open arms, ready to welcome us back, not with condemnation and judgment and anger, but with grace, with love, with forgiveness, with joy, and with celebration. And that is one of the main points of this parable. And I think verse 24 is a great summary of why the father is so excited. He says, For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. This is a picture of what happens when anyone comes to Christ through faith, through humility, and through repentance like this young son did. That God does not count the past against us, but he makes us new. And he rejoices that, that what was lost is now found. What is dead, what was dead is now alive. And this is an opportunity for all of us to come to Christ, to receive that newness of life. Now, today we've been celebrating how God's grace transforms people's lives. And you might be sitting here thinking, wow, those are really cool and encouraging stories. I'm, I'm so amazed at what God does in people's lives. But you might be thinking about yourself and maybe thinking, you know, that's cool for them. But I look at my life, I haven't really rebelled like that. I've been a pretty good person. I've even gone to church a lot in my life. But we have to understand that just because we try to live a good life and just because we go to church on a regular basis does not mean anything about how close we are to God. We can still be very distant from God even if we are trying to live a good life and are active in church. And for our final group of AHA testimonies, I'd like to invite up Ashley Cucker and Cindy Cucker and Gary and Carol Boley. Each one of these individuals has grown up in a church setting. Um, not only did they grow up in a church setting, they were very active in church. But if you listen to their stories, you'll hear that it's really only during the last few years that God has really grabbed a hold of them in a fresh way and given them a living, vibrant relationship 
with Christ. And so I'd like to thank you all for uh, being up here this morning to share. I know that uh, really with all these aha testimonies we've had this morning, we could have found any number of other people who could share similar testimonies. Um, but I'm thankful for, the, for your all's willingness to do this. So as we already said, you all each grew up active in church, even um, throughout your lives. Uh, but there was a significant transformation that took place more recently. And what was that awakening moment for you that turned you from being someone who was simply active in church to someone who is fully devoted to following Jesus? Cindy, we'll start with you. Well, my awakening, it was uh, gradual but constant. I did grow up in the church, um, but I kept my religious activities to usually Sunday mornings or a prayer before meals or bedtime, an occasional volunteer event during the week. Um, About six years ago, um, my heart was just really growing restless. I, I was looking for something to fill my heart, so I thought it was my church. So I started look, going to different churches. Over the course of about a year and a half, I visited many different churches, and I walked through the doors here um, one Sunday, and I heard something about Jesus that I had never heard before. I was hearing about a a new kind of Jesus. Um, I realized that I was trying to be a good person. You know, I was trying to do different activities to, to fulfill my life. I was trying to earn my way, you know, and I just was feeling empty about that. So I've slowly been turning over areas of my life, all areas of my life, to Jesus. Um, it's quite a process. Um, my day usually starts off, you know, in time with prayer and in his word. And throughout the day, um, I stop often and pray because I know that he is giving me the power to help and do things in all areas of my life. Um, my awakening has been a process. Each day brings something different for me. But um, what never changes is the truth that I heard about Jesus, that um, he is the only way, and that's all I need. Well, I grew up in the church as well, and I had a religious background, and I went to a private school until seventh grade. But even with that background, I still didn't really know Jesus. I went to church every Sunday, but um, my life didn't reflect that I was a Christian. My awakening didn't happen until a few years ago. At that point in my life, I was in the party stage. I spent a lot of my free time going out to the bars with my friends and getting drunk. Well, one night I was out at the bar and my wallet and my keys got stolen. And that situation just hit me really hard and I reached a very low point in my life. I didn't want to drink or go out to bars anymore after that. And I just knew I needed some change. So a couple months later, I came to really know Jesus. I signed up for the Easter Experience life groups here at Freedens, and interacting with Christians and listening to their testimonies really helped me open my eyes to Christ. At the same time, I started listening to these Christian podcasts about being a lukewarm Christian, and I knew I fell into that category. I didn't want to live that way anymore, so I went out and I bought a study Bible, and for the first time in my life, I started reading the Bible. I started looking up Bible passages that... um, talked about being a strong Christ follower, and staying in the Word really helped transform everything. 
After that, I decided to make some big changes in my life. I got baptized that summer, and I started living the way Christ wanted me to live. And looking back, I'm really glad that my wallet got stolen, or else I would still be living my old life. I mean, what a, what a cool testimony that is to how God does work through very difficult circumstances at times to wake us up. So, yeah, praise God that your wallet did get stolen. Um, or more so, that God used that to turn you around. And then you share that you did find your wallet many, many months later on the side of a, on the side of a road. Yeah. Nice. All right. Um, I, too, was uh, brought up in the church, and um, I've always been very active. Uh, it started with, um, I started directing the children's choir, and I became a Sunday school teacher, and that progressed to become the Sunday school superintendent, the VBS superintendent, the Christmas program guru, whatever. And I found that I was on a treadmill, and I felt myself being the gerbil in the wheel. Not pretty. Um, I was busy. I was very, very busy. And I realized, I started to realize there was something missing. And then the church that we had been attending became more focused on how to be more friendly and filling the pews and how to pay the bills than they were about the relationship with Christ. So becoming disillusioned, I didn't go someplace else. I just stopped going. And about a year or two later, um, I woke up one Sunday morning. I said, I can't do this anymore. I need something. So we came to Frieden's, and I couldn't believe it. You guys opened the Bible. Um, you were reading from the Bible. You were teaching, you know, what what God really wanted us to know, what he wanted us to hear. Um, prayer was um, genuine. It wasn't something read from a book. And I said, I need that. That is what I need. Um, well, my, I think what, what the real awakening point for me was uh, the first Good Friday service I attended here, uh, the cross was in the middle of the church, and we were all pounding nails into the cross, and I was just like, that's supposed to be me, you know. Um, that was very moving, and then we had the Not a Fan series. I was just like, that's me. I, just, I couldn't believe how much things were talking to me personally, how I needed God to come into my life. Um, so after a lot of reflection, and I found that it wasn't what God wanted me to do. It's he wanted me. And I had been chasing something. In reality, God had been chasing me. And I just needed to let him catch up to me. And I think um, it's not easy. I find a whole bunch of different challenges now. Now I'm constantly questioning everything I do. Am I doing this for my glory or are you doing it for his? So now i got a whole different set of issues going on. But at least I know that my heart is opening, and I'm very happy to say now that after about six or eight months, my new leather Bible doesn't smell like new leather Bible anymore, <laughs> and it's got that worn, it's getting that worn outlook. So that's me. Uh, for all you second shifters out there, I always go to early service, so I look forward to summer service so I can re meet rest of the people at Freedens here. Um, just, I'm going to pick up, obviously I was right alongside Carol the entire time. Um, my hat's off, really, to Freedens 
and the team that puts together the Bible studies. Um, they're fantastic. I like the up, in, and out triangle. Um, everybody, I believe, knows the story of the prodigal son that Brandon has the gift to be able to speak for three hours on. And we all read that in about five minutes. Does everyone think that's a gift? Well, for me, it, it is truly a gift because you do find out that there is a loving and caring God that wants you in his life. And that's about it. And just... <laughs> Well, thank you all for sharing. I mean, it's so encouraging to see God has each, each on different journeys, different paths. Um, but the prayer is that we will all come back to the Father. Um, and again, we could have shared any number of the rest of you could have come up here and shared similar stories. But it's, it's encouraging to see what God's doing and transforming lives. So let's pray. Um, and then we'll sing one final song. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing grace that you are so willing to transform lives, that you take us who are broken, us who are um, trying to get through on our own self-effort, those who are trying to glorify ourselves. Um, when we've made a mess of our lives at times, Lord, we thank you that you're willing to enter that mess to welcome us back to yourself. And I pray that you will continue to work in each one of our lives, Lord, whether we are still far from you, whether we're pretty close but have not yet made that commitment to you, or whether we've been walking with you for years and years. Lord, I pray that we'll all be examining our lives, identifying those parts of our lives that are in the distant country, surrendering those parts to you, and experiencing the true life that you alone offer. We thank you for your grace and mercy, your love, your compassion, and the new life that you offer through Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.